Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I hang with Brandy Leafso, founder of EVO Beauty, a Canadian brand that is changing the game with their clean and luxurious products, some of which are made with hemp. Brandy originated her beauty brand while living in a shelter in BC and has grown from there. We speak about domestic violence, getting her start, and the still taboo cannabis industry. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Brandy Leafso. So welcome to this week's episode of Can't Hang. Uh, I have Brandy with me here today. So welcome to the show, Brandy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you. You have such an incredible story and you have overcome a lot of things to be, you know, this female entrepreneur in a huge industry in the world, which is beauty. So Brandy, were you always super into beauty growing up? Um, I, I was and I wasn't. I grew up on a dairy farm. I was Mm. definitely the most girliest girl out of my (laughs) sisters, um, for sure. So, I mean, from some regards, I was definitely into it. I then went on to pursue makeup artistry um, and was in the the fashion industry by way of film and television. um, I worked, though, on the business side of all of that. So I was growing up, I was kind of into beauty. I was always the sister that was doing my other sister's hair and makeup for sure. Um, and then getting into, um, the industry of film and television, I was actually an agent, um, started off as an agent assistant and then started managing international models. So I was always into the industry, I guess, but also all mm-hmm. into business. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I know that's like, I feel like that's where I kind of come into because I am always interested in, you know, beauty. And like you said, I feel like I'm very similar to this and that I'm always doing my friends and my sister's makeup and hair and stuff. So that's kind of funny, but I I do always like the business side of things. So, so I'm glad we're, you know, on the same page on that. So, you know, of course, doing my research for this episode, I know I know quite a bit about your story and it's many turns, of course, not the whole story, but for the listeners who are not aware, can you tell us a little bit about your journey that has led you from, you know, leaving home and working uh, out West to living in a shelter and then creating this incredible brand uh, that is so well known uh, across Canada and, you know, North America. I don't know, you're probably in a lot of other uh, areas too, but um, that's how I know you best. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, for sure. So my story, I guess the best way to start any story is at the beginning. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the first time that I lived in a shelter, I was actually six months old which I think a lot of people are often very surprised to hear that because what they know from what the press has written about my story is Mm -hmm. they know that I lived in a shelter when I was 21. And that is where I started the concept for EPO. Um, Mm -hmm. But the truth of that 
is that I, the first time I lived in a shelter, I was a child and obviously I do not remember any of that. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but then when I was 21 living in the shelter, I was there due to making the choice to leave an unhealthy relationship, um, that was abusive. And so during my time in the shelter, I became somewhat obsessed over the statistics of how did I end up here? Because my life was so drastically different than my childhood. And, you know, I was living the city life, not living on the farm anymore. I was, had gone through a lot of mental mindset shifts and, and was kind of the the black sheep of the family in some regards. And I had also Mm -hmm. left school very early. My last year of traditional education was grade nine. So I, and my, my life was so drastically different. And so I was wondering, you know, how did I find myself back here? Why is it that there's still so many connections and inherent patterns in me of my past? And from there, I learned that 70% of children who grow up in unhealthy home environments with abuse or what have you, um, 70% of them become either abused or abusers in their adult lives. Wow. That's a huge statistic. And so I started wondering, you know, why is that? And so while I was in the shelter, I mean, in retrospect, I can connect the dots looking back while I was in the Uh, shelter, surviving. I wasn't, it wasn't this thought out um, in the time, but I, I really wanted to more than anything, I wanted to break the stigma. I didn't want to be a statistic. I, I was always stubborn in that kind of nature that I wanted to make people think differently. I wanted to make myself think differently. And so while I was in the shelter, I remember the volunteers and the people working at the shelter and those living in the shelter often would say, you know, Brandy won't be here for long. You know, don't worry about Brandy or, you know, don't add her to that list. She won't be here for long. And I remember Mm. being very frustrated at that response because it made me feel as if I wasn't getting the, the same type of resources and help that. Mm-hmm. saw the people around me that were going through the same circumstances that I saw them receiving. And so mm-hmm. I really saw it as a negative attribute that people thought that I wouldn't be there for long. And then I started connecting the dots because they said that I couldn't be there for long. I thought I can't be here for long. And because right. I started having a different self-talk with myself and started telling myself I can't be here for long, I started to look for different ways out. And I also started to recognize living in a shelter with 29 other women. So 30 women in the shelter and there was one bathroom. The moment that you have, I started wondering, you know, why are they saying that I won't be here for long? And I recognized the way I carried myself, the moments that I took to put myself together, to style an outfit, to do my makeup look, to, to be perceived a particular way is what led to people treating me a particular way. And the power of cosmetics and fashion relative to that became super apparent to me. And then the irony of then getting to know the industry a little bit further through the lovely Google, um, I started to also recognize the irony of what I was going through um, and what I had gone through in my life of, unfortunately, like gender oppression. It happens to men too, but unfortunately, the violence that I had and the abuse that I had experienced in my life um, was always kind of the patriarch, or the like the patriarch of of men. And so, I started to understand the irony of that in the beauty industry too. 
that, wow, the industry is predominantly consumed by women. Look at how powerful it is in terms of perception and look at how powerful the, the female energy and power is. But ironically enough, it's predominantly run by men um, who have mm-hmm. never tried the product and whom are also dictating um, to us, you know, what our flaws are. And this is almost a decade ago. So this is like eight years ago. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that you can remember this as well, or that you've seen it, is that makeup used to be marketed in a way of this is what's wrong with you. And this is how we're going to fix it with this. Concern. Oh, yeah. Or mm-hmm. you know, it was always dictated. This is what's wrong with you. And mm-hmm. it was so interesting to me that that was, that was a message directed predominantly from men. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of it for me getting into the beauty space. Wasn't about me loving, you know, lip gloss and loving beauty. It was political to be really frank. It was my <laughs> protest. I'm not really one to, although there's a place for it. Um, I, and we certainly saw the, the need for it and the purpose of it in this past year in 2020, but I'm not really one to take to the streets and protest. Evo mm-hmm. was my protest. It wasn't about yeah. makeup for me. It was about how do we, break the stigma of what my capabilities are because I only have a nine, a grade nine education. I lived in a shelter as a child. I'm now back in a shelter. Now people start to have a perception of what your capabilities are in life and statistics show, you know, I fell into that 70%. Also, you know, how do we start to change and, you know, how are we going to change the beauty industry? Well, I'm going to change it from within. And so for me, it was very political, um, and at that time, it was very much about female female empowerment and equality. Um, for me, that evolved over time as I evolved and as more causes became apparent to me, kind of in the underbelly of all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But initially, it started as a political EVO was was my march. It was it was my protest. <laughs> That's awesome. You sound so feisty and I love that. I think that that's so cool. And like I said, I love like how, you know, you see some, a problem and you see uh, whatever, and it's, it's your way of making a solution to this problem, not just standing on like the sidelines and, you know, saying, oh, isn't that too bad that this is happening? Or isn't that too bad that, that men are running the beauty industry? Like that you're really willing to like do something. And especially from a place where, you know, you just like take things really into your own hands. And I think that that's so cool, especially by women, because I think that's something that we're told like often just like, oh, you know, like let the men handle it or, you know, like be more passive, stuff like that. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a big moment was your original launch event for the original iteration of your brand, which was called Karma Face. But it was this really big event. And obviously (laughs) through my research, I learned this, but, um, and you put the spotlight on domestic violence with the models. But yet, as I've read, you were not really like forthcoming about why this was a cause you were really connected to. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that like you were kind of sheltering that side of yourself from this industry? Oh my gosh, you have really done your research. That is like, that is so far in the past to a point where I'm almost like, I don't even recognize Brandy back then. Um, oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah, originally, I mean, there, there's a story right there. So I'm going to take it back just two steps so that it gives some context yeah. to this um, to give a better, better answer to, to this question. But when I was in the shelter... I actually, so how the company got started was that I photoshopped a catalog of fake product. Um, 
And so I had some knowledge of Photoshop through my experience in the modeling industry, as I explained. But then also I, I learned how to use Photoshop on YouTube of how to like create products and doctor products and make mock-ups. And so I taught mm-hmm. myself how to do that on YouTube while in the shelter, just passing time. And then I created this made, make-believe catalog and took this catalog in like 30 seconds of mad courage. I shopped it around to local boutiques in Vancouver and sold them this product, told them there'd be a three-month turnaround time. And then I got to work on figuring out how to get it to the shelves before there was ever a product. So Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and then, And then it was actually, I will never forget this. It was June of 2012 when this event that you just mentioned um, took place. And I was not forthcoming with what I was experiencing because I was still experiencing it. And mm. a lot of victims of abuse hold a lot of shame. And also domestic violence is incredibly complex. I, mm-hmm. The question that, that I get often, and, and especially people who know me now, and even having this conversation with me, like I'm, I'm a strong person. I a, have a strong personality. Um, I'm really fiery, as you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> and I... I'm not afraid to share my opinions and I'm not afraid to share my truth. And that is often many traits of people who experience violence. There's a lot of shame in that. And it's, it's one of the most common questions that I get, um, as I was saying, is, you know, why did you stay? And mm. especially knowing me, knowing, you know, how bold I can be, it's, it's hard to, to put together but domestic violence is complex and it's not, you know, a bad person did a bad thing. I don't believe that for a second. I think that it's the complexity of an environment, often mental health, often addiction, um, mm-hmm. often, you know, um, unhealthy habits from, from past and from childhood. Um, it's, you know, wanting to stay to help somebody. It's also the complexity of financial abuse. It's the, it's, there's so much complexity within it. And I was still in the belly of it all that I was still feeling so much shame. Um, also wanting to protect those people around me, protecting also myself from the judgment of the people around me. And so at that time, all I spoke to was that I lived in the shelter as a child. And so that's why this cause mattered to me. But I didn't express that I was also a part of the 70% statistic that had just left the shelter as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what we actually did at that event, it was an awesome event and Shangri-La actually sponsored it in Vancouver. So it was this beautiful um, experience at the Shangri-La. And I mean, the irony of that was I had just moved out of a shelter and I was having a launch party at the Shangri-La. Like I couldn't afford any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Talk about like dichotomy of the situation, right? Just like complete opposite. Totally. I didn't even have furniture. I had moved into an apartment um, and I was sharing a one bedroom apartment with somebody that I had met on Craigslist. Oh my God. And so, yeah, like exactly. Talk about the dichotomy of that. And so I, what we did was we had these models walk with in a, a runway show. And some of these models, I don't know if you guys remember the Real Housewives of Vancouver. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I also had like a incredible, awesome community around me of people of, I guess, that kind of like entertainment kind of stature and those kinds of, I guess, we'll call it at that time, like early influencers. And so mm-hmm. we had like 
Ronnie from the Real Housewives of Vancouver. We had Zara. We had um, uh, Elisa Strato was there with her awesome husband, Adam, who's a good friend. Um, and they walked with um, the models in the show, walked with billboard, like big signs over their heads that spoke to the statistics of domestic violence. And that was something that wasn't really done at that time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, but I wasn't ready to share my current experience. It was just, I was too much in the belly of it and too much in the shame of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. But I think that's so, especially you speaking of it being such a long time ago, I think that's really cool because, you know, things like this and, and you know, I don't want to say this. I think it's not the right word I'm looking for, but like PSAs were like not really big or like making, uh, making the beauty industry like political was not really um, at, at the level that it is becoming now. I still don't think it's, you know, at the, at the right level, but I don't think that it's at the level that it is now. So that is just so cool that you did that. Um, and, and such an interesting look at the way your brand has developed, but something that, you know, I've read or a quote that I've read of you um, before. Um, and I think it's so, and you didn't notice at the time because I know the interview was pre-pandemic, but now it's so resonant with pandemic life. So you said, sometimes all you need is an internet connection and a grand idea. So, you know, talk about foreshadowing because we've seen people create such amazing businesses throughout, you know, these shutdowns. So how do you think this mindset of, you know, quote unquote, having what you need has helped you as an entrepreneur? Oh, what a great question. Wow. <laughs> you are full of amazing questions and it's Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think that I mean there's two sides to this coin for sure. I think um I think it's super important to start with what you have where you are. Um because there's so much power in that. Everything that you need is within you. And I know that that sounds super cliché, but it's the truth. The biggest thing is that you have to be willing and I need to kind of swallow my own medicine in this because in the last couple of years, um, I've been living certainly in the most comfortable life that I've ever had in my entire, I just turned 30. And so my entire life has been until I was about 28 years old was full of uncomfort. And now I'm so comfortable and I haven't taken a risk. I have not taken a risk in years. Um, and so I love that you're asking these questions right now too, because I'm doing a lot of self-reflecting in this moment saying like, damn, Brandy, like you need to, where's the spiciness? You need to get back there. So having, you know, a grand idea in the internet and, and knowing that everything that you have is within you, we've never lived at a better time. I mean, my generation, as I mentioned, I just turned 30 is going to be the last generation that ever remembers the world without the internet. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so interesting and important because the internet has made it possible for us to make something with simply just what we have. And the accessibility to the internet is really what changes that. Um, I know I had mentioned before about the statistics of, you know, what, what I thought I was capable of and generally what society would say somebody under my circumstances, for example, only having grade nine education having been in a shelter as a child, again, and as an adult, what society would say my capabilities are would be limited. However, the internet is accessible no matter what your socioeconomic standing is to be able to give a little bit of help to those who are not experiencing the same kind of privilege. 
And don't get me wrong, I don't mean that in the perspective that it makes us all equal. Far from mm-hmm. it. Privilege is certainly a thing that's very prevalent in today's world. But the internet is something that is accessible to all of us. And it makes dreaming a little easier to come into reality, where then it makes the biggest limits often to be yourself. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, I, I echo the fact that, you know, it doesn't make us equal and there is still, you know, these privileges that exist based on, you know, race, gender, sexuality, whatever it may be, but, you know, it, it serves as a micro equalizer to, to me, like, you know, you can be 15 or you could be like 90 and you can learn things on YouTube or you can, you know, um, take up a new career. You can take courses online. You can do all these things. Like you mentioned earlier, you can learn things to start a business on YouTube. And, and, and I think that it just makes things slightly easier and slightly more like attainable in your mindset to me personally, like mindset is that I can find it if I'm willing to look for it. Um, So I think that's such a great point. I wouldn't have thought of it like that before. I guess, you know, we're going to get into your like happy, successful stories and, and all that. But I think shedding a light on this aspect is very, very important. So your family, as I've read, it was a big part of you, like recognizing, you know, that, that something was off getting you out of your situation that you were in. Um, What are some signs that I could be, and listeners could be mindful of if I like suspect, you know, like a family member or a close friend is in like a dangerous domestic situation. Um, I know you're not an expert on this, but um, you sound like you've have done a ton of research as well. So what are some things that we could be um, mindful of and and not necessarily look for, but be aware of? Absolutely. This is a great um, question uh, that I think is incredibly important because as I mentioned before, domestic violence is an incredibly complex thing. It's not just, oh, you're you're in a relationship with a bad person. That that couldn't be Mm -hmm. further from the truth. And so something that I think is really important to identify is that if you think that someone is in a unhealthy relationship, it's important to monitor it and check in and also recognize that they may push you away um, because mm-hmm. of shame, et cetera, and that you need to really be empathetic and patient and observant without being aggressive or without, without approaching the situation in a way in which you feel you know what the right thing is to do because mm. every relationship is complex and different. So one person's experience with domestic violence isn't going to be the same as the other person's experience with domestic violence. But with that being said, there is some textbook red flags. Um, mm. And so some of those red flags that you might want to look out for is if someone is um, withdrawing from friendships, if they're going out less and less, some more obvious um, types of things that you might want to look for is, you know, if someone is out with you and they're getting text message or call after call after call after call from their partner. Mm. Um, those are things that you might want to observe, but again, not approach, not approach in an aggressive nature, because often what will happen then is if you say like, you need to get out of this relationship the person who's in the relationship will most likely just push you away. Mm. It, it needs to be the person's choice. Um, it needs to be when they're ready to, to see what's happening from a, from a objective perspective and when they're ready to exit. Because when it mm-hmm. comes to matters of the heart, it's, you know, like you often, there's the saying of like blinded by love. 
Um, mm-hmm. And often, I don't think that domestic violence per se is love. Um, it's often more of a obsession. Um, oh. And so I think that, yeah, it's a really complex. So observing some of those things and then being patient and empathetic and be an ear for that person to listen to, for that person to talk to, will make them feel as if they still have somebody. Mm-hmm. And in a situation where often one of the first steps that they do is isolate themselves from the people around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. And it's obviously something to be aware of. And you never know when this may happen to, you know, like you said, someone like yourself who no one would maybe expect this to happen to or, um, you know, whatever it may be. So I think that's great that, um, that you're sharing those uh, those things to look for because, you know, you can never be too, uh, I don't know, prepared, ready? I don't know. Jumping to more happy and successful stories about yourself. Um, I know you were part of the Sephora Accelerator Program. So what exactly does this mean? I've like heard of it a bit, but I think um, some really great brands have come out of this. So like, what exactly, like, how did you get into this? And like, how did you even find out about it? Yeah. So um, I can't remember my initial contact with it, but Sephora Mm. has asked us to apply. So we applied and luckily in 2018, we were part of their 2018 cohort and this is pre-pandemic. So it consisted of a lot of in-person activities. And then they also set you up with a mentor for a year um, from within the organization. So often it would be like a Sephora buyer. And um, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, um, it, I think what I took out, of the experience the most was the other female founders that I got to connect with. They were incredible women. And the 2018 year was the first year that they opened it up worldwide. So it was 13 female founders from around the world. And essentially the reason or what, what I understand the reason is of Sephora creating this, um, the Sephora accelerate program, which is still going on today. So if you are an indie beauty brand and want to apply, I definitely would recommend it. Um, again, to something that the name association of being able to associate EVO with Sephora was definitely mm-hmm. a huge um, brand builder for us, which which is helpful. And, and it's a great brand builder for any indie brand. So mm-hmm. um, I would certainly suggest it. But um, what I understand Sephora creating it for is because Sephora also recognized that they, you know, had some work to do in the regards that they are one of the largest distributors of cosmetics. And at that time that they identified that there was was an issue, I think there was about 10% of the brands being um, sold at Sephora were female founded or run. Oh, wow. And so they recognized, okay, yeah, that's an issue. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so they created the Sephora Accelerate program to hopefully combat that and help um, help create more female brands. Um, and so, or help accelerate more female brands. So yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what that number's at right now. Actually, I would love to know. And um, so if anyone from Sephora, in fact, I should reach out to them and see <laughs> how well they've combated that. Like what is the percentage of um, female brands in Sephora now? Cause I also know that they just made the 15% pledge, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but 15% is even above what they had of female founded companies. Yeah. And so I'm curious to know where their stats are at right now, but I applaud them for recognizing and, and putting, um, putting their, 
their actions where their their mouths are. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, you know, actions do speak louder than words. So um, I'm so glad to hear that like opportunities like this exist from bigger companies. And and I hope that other companies and other industries kind of take the nod from that um, and and figure out ways that they can, you know, boost these smaller companies into uh, existence. So I think that's so awesome. So, you know, I've had the opportunity to use your products specifically. The one I love the most is the R&R Duo, which is like an oil and a mask for the those of you listening that don't know, and they're both made with cannabis, which I didn't realize. And I think it's like, oh my God, it feels so good on your skin. Never, never mind. But um, I love the products already. But so what made you want to use cannabis in your products? Like I had never really seen this in products before, whether it's that or something else in the products, they're incredible. So what made you want to use it um, specifically in your products? Yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, I'm glad that you like the products. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So cannabis. This is this is a moment of my career that I am incredibly proud of. Is that mm-hmm. um, Evio was the first cosmetic company globally to really crusade the cannabis and cosmetic infusion market on a global scale with licensed producers of cannabis. Um, particularly, we were the first company ever and this is prior to legalization, to go through a merger and acquisition with a publicly traded cannabis company. Oh, well, and so, good for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we, we went through that merger and acquisition with Aurora Cannabis in early 2018. Um, legalization in Canada happened October 17th of 2018. So this was prior to legalization. And we certainly got um, some heat for it, uh, for sure. Uh, The world was not necessarily what it is now. The world has progressed in terms of its biases towards cannabis so much in the past couple of years. But the reason why we chose to do it is actually in a way that most people, even today, I'm not seeing um, necessarily generated in the same way that we did it. So our mission at EVO has and always will be from the moment that I was in the shelter to it is today, is to create a kind and conscious future. And we're choosing to do that through what we call kind luxury products. And we define kind luxury to be conscious, affordable, and clean. And so in order for us to be more conscious and and clean, we took a look at, okay, what, and also I'm just driven by breaking stigmas, if you haven't noticed that already. Oh yeah, I love it. (laughs) So we took a look at, okay, what ingredients are on the market to contribute to being cleaner and more conscious? Um, And when we took a look at that, we saw, you know, hemp and cannabis. And of course we weren't going to shy away from the stigma aspect of it. That actually drove me to it even more so. But um, Mm -hmm. But recognizing that cannabis is known for a drug, but there's so much more to it. The clean beauty industry also, um, in many ways, is still at its at its infancy. It's it's shocking to me that we're not just all clean and it's not the norm. But it's still mm-hmm. in its infancies in a lot of ways, and we need more ingredients to continue to innovate in the space. And those ingredients largely are not regulated. So, for example, like avocado is not regulated. Um, lavender is not Whoa. regulated, you know, sunflower is not regulated, but hemp and cannabis on the other side, it's regulated as a class one drug. And so talk about transparency in the ingredient. I can tell you exactly where we grew that plant. 
um, how we grew it, how much water it got. Um, was it in a, was it an outdoor grow? Was it an indoor grow? Um, you know, every single detail I can tell you about the mother of that plant. You know, I can tell you about how that plant was. Wow. I can't tell you that about the avocado that goes into our product. Yeah. So that was something that was really interesting to us. So we found that cannabis was a tool for us to be kinder and more conscious. And we were able to do that by creating more transparency within our ingredients. And we were also able to do that by eliminating all animal byproducts, making us 100% vegan um, by eliminating beeswax. We used to use beeswax in our products, um, but now we were able to replace some of our beeswax with hemp resin. Um, And in addition to that, we also did a pilot to reduce our use of plastic by 40% by reinforcing it with hemp fibers. Oh, wow. So all of that to say, and that's not even talking about the benefits of the ingredients and why your skin felt so good after using Mm -hmm. our Um, Mm R&R. And so there's also a ton of of health benefits to um, using that ingredient as well. So needless to say, it's it's a pretty powerful ingredient that has been wrongfully um, classified simply because of the war on drugs. And that goes back to a whole nother conversation, going back to privilege and um, racial issues and so mm-hmm. so many other things as well. So yeah, we, we got into cannabis to create a kinder, more conscious future. Yeah, no, I think I really love the products and they are unlike anything I've used before. So I think that that's really interesting. I, something that you kind of, well, you brought up a bit in the last uh, answer there. I feel like cannabis is still sort of taboo in Canada, even with the legalization being, you know, a couple of years ago now. So do you feel like people are coming to realize these benefits that you spoke of? Or is this kind of still a pain point for your products? Is it something that people are, you know, still a little bit reluctant towards? Definitely. Like ideologically speaking, sorry. Totally, totally. Absolutely. Especially here in Canada. Um, I'm by no means any expert in the cannabis space and could certainly speak to other people who live Mm -hmm. and breathe all things cannabis. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, have lended my expertise and hand from the cosmetic world into the cannabis world, um, Mm -hmm. the ways that I just expressed. But when it comes to regulation in Canada, I don't think that our government did a great way, did it, you know, in a positive way that really allowed for us to destigmatize cannabis. It, although we, we were one of the first countries to become federally legal, um, the framework around that legalization wasn't necessarily to the benefits of cannabis consumers or to licensed producers. So mm-hmm. it's still illegal to market cannabis. Um, and so because of that, we, for example, and also actually to, to put it into light a little bit more, you won't see any ads on Facebook relative to cannabis, even relative to our r and um, Although there's no CBD, there's no THC, there's no active, active ingredients that can, you know, affect your, it's not going to get you high to put it plain and simple. Mm-hmm. It can't, it doesn't have any of those attributes to it or cannabinoids in it. However, we can mm-hmm. market it on Facebook. Because oh, wow. it has hemp in it and because we use the word hemp in in our on our website. And so therefore it picks up the word hemp or cannabis and you can't run ads to it. And um, so from to look at it from a perspective of our generation, where we get most of our information is from Instagram, Facebook, 
social media platforms, um, community platforms, and we simply are unable to receive information the way that we receive it as millennials or Gen Zs, we're, we're unable to receive information around cannabis relative to that. So of course, wow. there's still stigmas around it. There's no way for us to have easy access that integrates into our daily life that educates us around cannabis or normalizes it. Wow. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And no wonder why, you know, a lot of people like myself who don't actively look for cannabis products, let's say, don't see anything about it. It's almost like it doesn't exist anywhere. So, oh, wow. I didn't know that at all. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people probably would be surprised by. Huh. Wow. It also sends a signal to society that we're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Why is it being hidden? Um, So it, it, subconsciously sends that message that there's still something wrong with cannabis. And um, Mm. it's unfortunate that that, you know, the, the government regulations say, you know, here to squish the stigma about cannabis, but currently the way the framework is put subconsciously actually enforces those stigmas. Yeah. Wow. It's not crazy to think about. Wow. I'm so glad you shared that. Just like a whole different way of thinking. Wow. I'm so speechless. Um, so are there any, with that being said, of course, you have so many great products between like makeup and skincare. Um, you've tons of products. Um, but are there any products that you guys are kind of in development with, if you don't mind sharing or like that we can look forward to seeing in the future that will add to your, you know, already stacked lineup? Oh my gosh, this is my favorite question because yes, we are oh. on so many products for the um, for Q2, 3, and 4 of 2021 and even more leading in. We're already working on our formulas for 2022 right now. But our next product coming out that I'm super excited about is actually a peppermint and hemp, and hemp lip serum. Um, and it is so luxurious and also to natural EVO fashion, also very affordable. Um, and so it's super luxurious and it really hydrates your lips. It's great to put on before you go to bed and wake up with like really hydrated lips, or I have been applying it like, um, I would say like 10 times a day, at least I have one in every bag, which I feel like is a sign of a good product. Um, when you put in every bag in every pocket. So that will be coming out in April, May of this year. Um, So really excited about that. And then we are also coming out with um, a cleanser in our EVO skin lineup. And another really exciting collection is that we're actually coming out with um, what we are calling velvet color sticks. Oh, And it really plays up the whole concept of that makeup was never intended to have rules. So use these color sticks on your, your cheeks, your lips, your eyes, your nose, your forehead, your ears, your, your neck, like mm-hmm. put them wherever the hell you want to put them. Mm-hmm. Makeup was intended to be a form of self-expression. So here is a wonderful, good for you, great ingredient product that you can use anywhere. And and the exciting thing about that is that we actually had a um, advisory panel. So we have a product advisory panel that we started to form for these new products coming out full of incredible people in the industry, consumers, makeup artists, um, veterans of the industry of makeup lines that I was obsessed with in my teens. And yeah, just incredible people, producers, uh, who else? Oh, some amazing YouTubers. Um, and they all gave us their feedback 
along the way throughout the formulations. Um, also oh, gave wow. marketing feedback so that we made sure that we were marketing in a, in a way that really spoke to people and to the intelligence of people and what they really want to see in their products. Um, mm-hmm. So for that reason, I'm really excited for our velvet color sticks. Oh my God, that is so exciting. Those both sound like such awesome products. I am recently, I guess, cause I'm wearing less makeup while I'm at home. I am so obsessed with lip products. So I'm so excited for that. And I'm, my birthday's in April, so I'll for sure be getting one. Um, that's so exciting. Yeah, so I'm just so excited um, for all those things. And obviously you have already great products lined up new one. That's so exciting. So on a more personal note, what's up next for you? Are, are you still continuing to be, you know, strongly bonded to EVO or do you have any other excitement on deck for, you know, 2021? Absolutely. So 2021 EVO, EVO is my everything. Um, it has mm-hmm. been, I mean, for all of my twenties, um, for the mm-hmm. past decade. So it, it, I am strongly bonded to EVO. However, I also recognize that I am an entrepreneur through and through, not necessarily a CEO. Um, I get my, you know, I fill my cup by getting creative and starting new things. And so I'm certainly looking at starting new chapters within the EVO umbrella um, Mm. and also outside of the EVO umbrella as well. Um, I think that, you know, over the next decade, I'm going to definitely spend more time um, I've been writing a book over the past two years, oh. so I'm hoping to to finish that early 2022. Received a, a, a book offering in 2019, and and I had writer's block, given that I'm not a writer <laughs> for like <laughs> a year and a half. Um, so I'm excited to to be writing now and to be able to hopefully see that come to fruition and and touch people's lives and help them dream bigger. And yeah, that's kind of what's next for me is, is, uh, continuing the EVO journey in some, some new unconventional ways for sure. Take some more risks, um, and, and write this book. That's amazing. I, I don't know. I I've never even like heard that before. And I knew you were going to say you're writing a book. Cause I feel like that's just like, I don't know. I could just feel it. I feel like I'm getting spiritual, but I could just like feel that you're going to say that. So that's really exciting. I'm a huge reader. So that's really exciting. Um, I can't wait for that. And you know, good things take time. So it'll come out when it's ready and like all that stuff. <laughs> but as everyone knows, the end of the show means one thing and one thing only. So it, I always do rapid fire questions. So whenever you're ready, these are just like simple, get to know you questions. I don't think they're too hard, I hope. Um, so whenever you're ready, we will start. Ready. Okay, good. So my first one I always ask is if you could hang with any five people, who would it be? Oh, five people. Um, mm. My fiance, my best friend. Um, honestly, it's just the people I hang with every day. So I'm going to add the next three people are actually going to be Bushra, Liz, and Amy, who are my all my right-hand arms at EBO. Oh, that is so nice to hear. Oh, that's so nice. Um, next question. What show are you binging right now? Assuming that you're a binger. Oh, I am a binger. Um, I have binged so many shows throughout COVID. Um, <laughs> Me too. Uh, one of the ones that I just binged the first season and the second season got weird. So I stopped was um, uh, Mr. Robot. Oh, 
I haven't heard of this. It's on Prime. Okay. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. So I'm always looking for new ones. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Okay. What is your favorite like 90s nostalgia thing? So like, you know, there's so many good ones like shows, movies, you know, Tamagotchi. Friends. Tamagotchi. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I re- I'm like a late 90s baby, but like, oh my God, I remember my Tamagotchis <laughs> fondly. I was talking about Furbies recently too. Oh my God. Yes. I like hit the tail end of those, but I feel, feel like I'm still like in the crowd, you know? Um, I remember when we were watching, did you watch Shit's Creek by any chance? Oh, that's another one that I just binged. Yes. I love. Okay. Yes. When David like yells at Alexis and he's like, you killed my Tamagotchis. I'm like, oh my God, only like our generation understands like the importance of that sentence. Like I feel like parents that are watching, they'd be like, what is he talking about? But you got to know it to know it. (laughs) Totally. And she's like, you had 15 of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. So funny. I love that show too. So just like so many great things intersecting. This one is very personal to you. If you could have any celebrity promote EVO, who would you want it to be? Ooh. Hmm. Oh, this is a good question. Um, Yeah, I'm going to take this more from rather than a business perspective and marketing perspective, I'm going to take this in a direction that is very personal to me. Okay. (laughs) And actually the author of um, Educated, Tara. Oh my God, I loved that book. I feel like her and I have so much in common. In fact, to the point where um, people, a a ton of people have, have reached out saying like, um, have you met Tara? Do you get, do you know Tara? Because you and her like have the same story. Um, oh my God. So I ended up actually reading the book and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. There's so many similarities here that I get why everybody was saying what they were. So, um, I would say Tara, just from the personal perspective that sometimes having gone through such extremes in my life, it can be mm-hmm. lonely. And I feel like her and I would would understand those extremes in a capacity that I haven't really met too many other people who would be able to. Yeah. Wow. I actually fairly recently read that book and it was one of the best books I've ever read. Like hands down, loved it. Like would for anyone listening, like would recommend it to like everyone. And as like a recent, not to like make this about myself, but as a recent university, like grad, it was like so powerful. Like I don't know, just the the idea of like education and I just never thought about it in that way. Yeah. Wow. That's like one of my favorite books. I'm so glad you brought her up. Um, so I'm, you know, just put it out there, manifest it. Like it's now in the universe. Maybe she'll love Evio. <laughs> Maybe she'll just be your next, uh, your next gal. So last question, who was like your childhood, like, you know, crush like not like and personal but like like um on tv or like a musician or someone hands down ask no further it was brian from the backstreet boys <laughs> oh my god stop that's so funny i was way too young for the backstreet boys like i just thought liked their music but that is so funny okay that was such an easy one for you you had that ready to go oh my gosh yeah like childhood crush brian backstreet boys hands down to the point <laughs> where in 2019 um, American Express, shout out to American Express. Um, they, I, I didn't have a credit card actually until 2019 because having 
lived in a shelter and gone through the experience that I did. The bank, like the bank is a very traditional infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They don't like to take risks on entrepreneurs and they certainly don't like to take risks on entrepreneurs that were homeless. So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I didn't have a credit card or anything. I built EVO on pure cash and also, um, like equity and friends and family rounds and et cetera. So it wasn't to a point where until I had more than a million dollars in liquidity and cash in the bank that I was able to get a credit card. And a guy over at American Express read my story um, that was ghostwritten about me in Toronto Life magazine. And um, he reached out and he said, that's crazy. And I want to try to help. So he actually ended up getting me a platinum American Express, which from what I understand is hard to get your hands on. And Mm -hmm. so I already was like, my, my fiance will, will make a joke that the only time that he has ever seen me cry out of excitement, including getting engaged was (laughs) when I got a credit card from American Express. And I was like, Oh my God, like I have worked so hard to change my life. And having a platinum card that like, it's like this heavy metal card too, that like makes a, an egotistical statement, let's be honest, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then that evening, the same guy over at American Express, Will, sent me a message saying, I also got box seat tickets for you to the Backstreet Boys next week. Would you like to go? And I couldn't even at the Backstreet Boys. I cried the whole time. And my (laughs) boyfriend at the time, like he's now my fiance, but my boyfriend at the time was like, I have never seen you so emotional. I was like, it's Brian. It's a credit card. Like all of the things I can't handle my life right now. Oh my God. That sounds like the best day ever. Like that's like the, and also what kind of question is that? Do I want to go to the Backstreet Boys? Like, uh, yes. Like, of course, <laughs> never not wanting to go. Yeah. So you're like, who do you have a crush on? I'm like, I cried over Brian. I didn't even cry out of getting engaged. I cried over Brian from the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love that story. That's, I feel like that's just such a good twofold story. Like there's just, wow. Hmm, love that. So it has been so great to speak with you and hang with you today, Brandy. Um, like your brand is just so incredible. And obviously you've like overcome so many things um, to get here. And, you know, it's just, you sound like you're really thriving. So I'm like really just so happy for you. So, and obviously you're Canadian, so I'm just double happy. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you so much for making this happen with Liz and um, I really appreciate your time today and really appreciate the time that you put into researching and such thoughtful questions. Thank you so much. I'm Alia Ballas and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan.